Thanks for listening to this message brought to you by Cornerstone Christian Church. For these and other great resources, please visit us at sparkswillfly.cc. I want to just preach this one simple subject this morning for the Lord to help me. I want to preach to you. How many in this place? We always say this, you know, um, I've been privileged to be at this a while. I've been preaching since I was a teenager. But how many believe that uh, we say that God is good and the church used to say all the time, right? Uh, a lot of people believe that, um, you know, I've how many people love the Lord? Everybody raises their hand. And then a lot of times when we say, how many believe that God loves you, we, let, we raise our hands. But I'm telling you that in a room this size, there's people that struggle really believing that God is 100% for us. Religion has sold us a lot of things about God. A lot of people believe a lot of things about God. But this morning, I want to take the opportunity and the small 45 minutes that I have with you, I'm going to do my, break, my best to preach the gospel. Anytime the gospel is preached, how many knows what the word gospel means? It means good news. So if you hear a message that is not good news, friend, you did not hear the gospel. The gospel's good news. What is news is something current. There should be any time that the gospel is preached, there should be good news. There should be something currently happening in that place where the preaching of the word is, okay? So I need your help this morning. I'm struggling. I'm not at my, not at my best physically, but if you help me through God's help, we're going to be able to do this thing together. Look at your neighbor and say, God's for me. Look at your neighbor and say, you might not be for me, but God's for me. Come on, tell them. Look at them and prophesy and say, God is for me. All right. <coughs> Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with us also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. How many believes in justification? Justification is just as you never did it. Come on, that ought to make everybody shout. Who shall bring a charge against God elect? It is God who justifies. He who conde- who, who is he who condemns? Is it Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us? That means that Jesus is praying for us right now. When you forget to pray for me, he's praying for me. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution um, or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a conqueror. I'm overcoming this thing. Come on now. I'm overcoming that you are a conqueror. You're not a victim. We are victors in Christ in this house. Come on, somebody. I don't care what has a hold of me today, friend. I'm overcoming. Why? Because he overcome and he lives inside of me. Yet all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who love us. For I am persuaded 
that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a good word right there. Listen, Reinhard Bunke says this, that Christianity is not about doing, but about being. Religion has taught us the do's and don'ts, but listen, Christ made a way where we could simply receive what he did on the cross, receive his righteousness, come on, because my works and my doing is according to the Bible, the best I could come up with is his filthy rags before God, but Christ made a way for me to receive what he did on the cross and made a way for me to stand before God holy. So Christianity is not about doing, but it is about being. Jesus' life reveals the heart of the Father to us. Now, I know that Junior preached a, a, preached a great message last week, um, and so I didn't really get to get my Easter message in. But this morning, all week long, for the really the past two weeks, I just felt the Lord just really say, you know, just, just encourage the people that I'm for them. And yesterday we, we were... Um, we went, uh, we were in, me and the boys, and I was just watching them and, and whatever, and the fish were biting slow, and so I cut on some music, and I cut on an old country song, and um, you can listen to country sometimes if you're holy, come on. <clears throat> I, still like, I still like a lot of old country, and so I was listening to it, and I was watching my boys, and there was a song to come on by Kenny Chesney, and it says, There Goes My Life. How many's ever heard that song? Remember, it's about the young couple or whatever. They have, they make, they have what they consider a mistake. She gets pregnant, and they, you know, and so he forgets about, says his football dreams and all this stuff. And you know, there goes my life. And later on, there's a little girl growing or whatever, and it says she runs up the stairs and looks back at him, and he looks at her and said, "There goes my life." And so as I was sitting there watching tears come up in my eyes as I was watching my boys and I was just sitting there looking at Asher, you know, and he says the funniest things. How many movie, how many's ever seen the movie The Sandlot? Uh, one of the best baseball movies ever. It does got two, uh, three cuss words in it. Forgive us God for watching such filth. Come on. But anyhow, Asher, he looks at John Ben and just out of the clear blue, he says, he looks at John Ben, he said, I got, he said, he said, I got one question. And John Ben said, what? He said, where did your old man get that ball? And he's quoting from the sandlot, you know, just out of the blue. And I'm watching him and I'm thinking, here's my life. But let me tell you, I believe that the Father's looking down and every morning that you get out of the bed, He said, there goes my life. When people, my God, I'm telling you, you gotta understand, friend, that your pictures are covering the refrigerator of heaven. Your pictures are all inside of His wallet. He's excited about you every day, friend. On your worst day, when you've blown it the worst way you know how, when you fleshed out, when you cussed your spouse out, come on, somebody, He's still rooting for you in heaven saying nothing separates me from you. I'm 100% for you. I put everything on Jesus so that you would have a chance in this life. Now let's look at Jesus. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm gonna read it out of the Passion Translation. Hebrews chapter 11, verse one through three. And it says this, throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors by his prophets in many different ways. 
the revelation he gave them was only a fragment at a time, building one truth upon another. Listen, it's fine to take the Old Testament. It's fine to read the stories because they were written, the Bible says, for our instructions that we, and as examples, that we would not make the same mistakes that we did. But it's the wrong thing to grab the Old Testament and the, all as you read is the Old Testament and you gain that view of the Father in heaven because that's the incomplete picture of who He is. Just like you can't take today the 45 minutes you hear me preach and judge my life and judge my message just only a fragment of what you heard. Come on now. We only see fragments of the Father in the Old Testament. And a lot of New Testament believers are running around the earth and that's the picture they have of our Father. They believe that he come to kill, steal, and destroy. When we see tornadoes rip through cities, God gets blamed with that. When we see sickness and disease get on people, people stand up and give God the credit that he did that. Y'all not been in the churches I have? But God, that's the incomplete picture. In times past, it says that, that there was only a fragment at a time building one truth upon another. Now we know this, that Jesus is pictured and foreshadowed from the beginning. Actually, the whole book is about one man and it all points to Jesus, right? Come on now. And, and so from the beginning in Genesis 3.15 is the first prophecy given of Jesus where he tells the, the serpent that there's one coming that will bruise his head, but he will bruise his heel. And so that Jesus is pictured. But, these are, but we don't have the complete revelation of who the Father, is until Jesus shows up on the scene. Look at this. But to us living in the last days, now God speaks to us openly. Look at this. In the language of a, of a son, the appointed heir of everything. For through him God created the pan, panorama of all things and all and all time. The sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor the exact expression of God's true nature, his mirror image. Now Jesus, according to, uh, Jesus came to put a picture of, of, of God, the face of God, he come to reveal that to us in the earth. So what we see in the life of Jesus in the gospels, if we don't find it in the life of Jesus, we have to question about when somebody tells us God is like this or, or you start having thoughts that God is like that, that God's not for me. We have to bring it into question in the life of Jesus. Now, in John 14, 16, this is where Jesus said, remember in the 14th chapter, he's getting ready. He's telling his disciples he's gonna leave the earth. He said, but if I leave, I will not leave you alone. For I will ask the Father, and the Father will send another helper, is what he said, alongside of you. That word another is the exact same. Jesus said, if I leave, the exact same image of me is coming back to the earth, and he's coming on the inside of you, and he will help make your life just like my life. You, think about this. Remember in John chapter 7, verse 38, Jesus said that out of our bellies will flow rivers of living water, right? And he said, this he spake of the Spirit, 
For the Spirit of God was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Why couldn't the helper, the exact same image, come until Jesus had went to the cross and was glorified? Because God's not building my life after the suffering Jesus. Come on now. He's not building my life after that. Well, you, you, listen, this is what religion says. Religion says kill everything of who you are and then you can have God. We pray, they tell, God help us to decrease. You should never pray that prayer. God never wants you to decrease. He wants you to increase. Come on now. That was John the Baptist who prayed that prayer. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And what he was saying, let this covenant decrease, but let that that's on the earth increase. I'm a fading glory. That is an ever-present glory that will never fade and never go away with. God wants you to increase. Because as you increase, he's increasing in the earth. The Holy Spirit... It's building my life after the resurrected Jesus. So what the Holy Spirit wants is to me to come in agreement with Him. You know what He's saying? You have overcome. The other voice in my head says, I'll never get free of this, but the Holy Spirit said, you've already been made free. My flesh says, I wish I could get healed. The Holy Ghost is saying, you've already been healed. I wish I could get saved. The Holy Spirit said you've already been saved over 2,000 years ago. You just need to recognize what has already been paid for. Come on now. I wish I could, I wish I could break this spirit of poverty. The Holy Spirit says it's already been broken over 2,000 years ago. He became poor so that you could become rich. Hello. He's asking us to come in agreement with who God says we really are. And everything Jesus was, he made a way so that we could become it. All right. He's not building me after the suffering Jesus. Well, let me ask you this. If God's for me, then why does bad stuff happen? Does not bad stuff happen to good people? That, I can tell you right now, I can't explain. And probably no one in this room can say, why it happens. And it's not up, I think, when we get in danger is when we try to explain to people why they're in the situation they're in. Now let me just say this. Most of the most difficult situations in my life, I had a lot to do with it. You can't go borrow money at 30% interest and then fuss because you can't pay off the loan. Hello? You can't smoke for 35 years and then fuss because you got lung problems. That's our own doing. God didn't have nothing to do with it. The devil ain't had nothing to do with it. There's, there's this thing called life and there's consequences to the decisions we make in life. Right? But the bad stuff, now let me just say this. I didn't get the flu last week because God was trying to teach me something. The only thing I did ask him <laughs> was, have I been running a little too hard? Because <laughs> see, but God don't put the flu on us to teach us stuff. He don't put cancer on us to get our attention. 
He don't take mama and daddy away from children because he's trying to pay them. He's trying to get their attention. Come on now. This is not a representation of God that we find in the life of Jesus. I can't find that in the Gospels. Now I can find the scripture in the gospel in Acts 10, 38 said he, talking about Jesus, went about doing good, healing all that was sick and oppressed of the devil. And if God uses sickness and disease, then Jesus was working on the earth against his father and they were not in agreement. There's only one time in the New Testament that Jesus and the father were, were really not in agreement. And that's in the Garden of Gethsemane in John 17. Jesus said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. It's not that he was crying out saying, I really want to go to the cross. But Jesus got in a place of prayer and he made that flesh line up with the will of God. Jesus didn't defeat the cross at Golgotha. He defeated it in John 17 in the Garden of Gethsemane when he rose up from the place of prayer. When his sweat became a drops of blood, the flesh was now in line with the will of God. And Jesus said for the joy set before me I will endure the cross. Why? Because one day there's going to be a boy named John Bagley in Bacon County that's going to need the cross. One day Dusty Statham is going to need the cross and he looked out through the ages of eternity and said for a moment I can endure this so that they can be free. Well Jesus just wanted to go to the cross. Friend you got to understand he was a man. I know he was God, but he, was, but he left his deity and became a man. He didn't want to go to the cross, but he lined his will up with his spirit, his flesh lined up. He made headway to the cross. Now, <clears throat> any good father would discipline his children. Right? Now, probably all of us in this room do it wrong. <laughs> Including yours truly. You know, I listened to certain leaders or whatever, and I was listening to one talk the other day, and I was thinking, Lord, I don't even know if I'm saved. The way this man was, you know, first of all, he's in his 70s. He's lived a long time on the earth. He's fifth generation. So there's a lot of wisdom in that. But the problem, the reason why we struggle so much with the image of God is because God, Jesus, was dropped in a world full of orphans. And it's hard for us to recognize His goodness. Every problem in life is to get you to doubt God's goodness towards you. Every time we all face struggles and every one of us in this room has struggled. A lot of us in this room has struggled financially before. We've struggled physically before. We've struggled relationally before. We've had problems in our marriages. And then when those situations, I mean, how could those things come up if God's good? Friend, let me tell you something. That's a lie straight from hell for the enemy to try to make you agree that God is not good. But I'm telling you, in your worst situation, God is 100% for us. And God is always working things out for our good on our behalf, even if it doesn't seem like it. There's never a time that he's not working things out for my good. He's always working on my behalf. He's 100% for me. Now look at this. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Is this first unit on? I'm pouring sweat. I know that. 
I'm going to have to get a braise. I'm working in harsh conditions. <laughs> John chapter 15, you there? Look at this in verse 1. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. That it may bear more fruit. This is what he's saying. Let me just interpret this for you. You my son. As long as you remain my son, I'm going to prune you. Now if there's no pruning going on, guess what? You're not a son. Come on. Herbie, help me out right here. People think I ain't preaching the word. Hebrews chapter 12 says that if there be no chastisement, right? King James. If we don't endure the chastening of the Lord, the pruning of the Lord, the discipline of the Lord, then we are the King James. Well, every kid in here is a bastard. That means you're an illegitimate child and not a son. But he said, listen, sons, I'm going to prune and I'm going to discipline. Now I'm trying to clear something up right here. Why are you saying this? Because a lot of times in the South, we believe that bad situations are the discipline of the Lord. God never disciplines us that way. Why? Because Jesus came to put a face right on the Father to give us the exact representation. So we gotta look how Jesus is gonna handle his discipline. Let's look at it. Now look at the Father. What he is concerned is not about how much you're tithing. He's not concerned how many church services you're knocking out. What he's concerned about is are you bearing fruit? He's looking at the fruit. What's the fruit? How many people are you converting? Well, I ain't won nobody in a year. You better get, on, you better get the job post in. How much healing's going on? How much to live? What kind of impact? What kind of fruit do we have? Listen, here's what religion does. Religion don't care much about fruit as long as you got leaves. And that's the first thing that Adam and Eve did was cover themselves in leaves. That is religion. Well, we got a lot of leaves, Jesus, but Jesus is looking through the leaves to see if he can find fruit. And what he said, listen, you got a lot of leaves, but there's nothing hanging on the leaves. I got to strip that branch because I want the oil not to produce leaves. I want the oil to produce fruit. Now, how's he going to discipline? Look at this. You already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. How does God bring about discipline and change in our life? He speaks to us. My boys know when the voice change. Does yours? We were at a Hornets game one night and Asher was sitting up top and there was some people sitting beside us or whatever. And Asher said, she said, go somewhere. And I said, no, or whatever. Well, he looked at me or whatever and then I seen him, went, he, he was going to try it. I know y'all's kids don't try y'all, but his folks tried. And when he did, my voice changed. And when he did, I mean, he put the brakes on like that, like you just had him bungeed. 
You know what I'm saying? And God looked at me. I said, he know the voice changed. God communicates with us like this. We see how he handles his disciples. Remember, he said, remember the disciples said, you know, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Jesus is like, I got to cut this branch off of their life right now. Because if not, they're going to get into competition trying to see who. I mean, we're going to create a pecking order instead of a team. I've got to cut this branch off of their life. He didn't take them out around the shed and put cancer on them. He didn't allow one of them to get a limb cut off. What did he do? He brought a child and said, look, you want to be great? Look at this child. Here's the greatest in the kingdom. He spoke to them and cleaned them by his word. The situation I'm in has nothing to do with God disciplining me. He's for me. All right? A lot of people trying to pay for the sin. You can't pay for your sin. Jesus already did. Hello. Look at this in John chapter 4. You all right? John chapter 4. Jesus is concerned about the fruit in our lives. John chapter 4. Look at this in verse 3. Jesus is concerned about the one. He's concerned about the one. He will leave the crowd to go after the one. Come on now. Y'all right? Look, do this. All right. We're good. All right. We're going to go for the next 10 minutes. Lord, they must have ate at Paula Dean's or something last night. Huh? You ate at Jonah's. May the Lord forgive you. All right, listen. John chapter 4, verse 3 says, He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now, I want you to look at this in the heart of God. Think about this as your Father communicating to you. He told his disciples, to don't go to any city of Samaria. Remember that when he sent them out of Matthew 10? He told them, don't take no money with them. Don't take no, don't take no extra clothes. Don't take an overnight bag. And he said, don't go to any city of Samaria. But I want you to see what's on the heart of God. Your father in heaven, there is a lady that is living in Samaria. For whatever reason, she has been married multiple times and she's shacked up now. Most of the church has preached this woman as a harlot who can't stay with a man. I've heard others say that maybe the issue was she couldn't have children. And after a certain time that she couldn't produce a child, that the man would leave her. Whatever, this woman is full of shame. She's full of hurt. And she is living in a city of Samaria. But Jesus told his disciples, don't even go to that city. But now he himself has such a heart for the one. Don't tell me that God don't care about you, friend. He knows you're rising up till you're going down. He knows every situation in our life. He can see through the shingles. And every day he's trying to communicate to you, I'm for you. He arrives to the city. There's a well. There's a there's a, a well there that uh, Jacob's well there, and he sits upon that well. The Bible says he's wearied from the journey. 
that lets me know that, listen, when she shows up, God's already waiting on her. We're not waiting on God. God's waiting on us to get near the well. He's already there, friend. Jesus shows up. The lady, I mean, the lady shows up. The disciples are going to get food. He's sitting on the well and he starts communicating. First of all, let me say this. In his day, no man, especially, especially not a Jew, was fixing to talk to a woman. She's showing up at a time when the other women, the watering time should have been in the morning and in the evening. She's showing up at the sixth hour. She's showing up midday. Why? Because she don't want to run into nobody. I don't want nobody to see me. I don't want nobody to know my current status. My current status is, is I'm shacked up with somebody. Life ain't good for her. But let me tell you, there's one that was not offended at her mess. Come on, somebody. There was one that wasn't embarrassed to hang out with her. My God, I, I came to, maybe I can talk to me. I'm so thankful that when I had high school teachers and other people tell me I wouldn't make nothing, I'm so glad there's a God in heaven that was not offended or ashamed at my mess that reached right through all of that and got to where I was at. Church is scared to death of sin. We scared to death of people with problems. We like people to come in that's clean and pretty. Let me tell you something. There's a harvest of jacked up people outside. If a church wants it, all we got to do is go out and show the love of God. Tell them there's a God that loves them the way they are. They don't have to clean up. You ain't got to quit smoking. You ain't got to quit drinking. Just love God. The rest of that will fall off. How do you know that? Man, when I was 18 years old, I was in Nashville, North Carolina at a conference. It's called Jesus Jam. There was a guy there, his name was Pastor Bruce, does inner city missions in the city of Atlanta. There was a guy there, I'll never forget, who graduated um, from a large university in Chicago. He had two uh, degrees. And he found himself homeless in the city of Atlanta. You think, how in the world? And the man graduated from university with two degrees. How in the world does he end up homeless? His mom and, his mom and dad and a sibling was killed in a car wreck and he could not overcome that tragedy in his life. And so he turned to, he didn't turn to the Lord for help. He turned to drugs for help. And he wound up in the city of Atlanta, strung out on crack, and he was homeless. And I remember listening to him talk in a conference. And he said that he would go by Pastor Bruce's little mission there in the city of Atlanta and he would get food and the things that he needed. And he said not one time did Pastor Bruce ever tell him to quit doing drugs. He just showed me a life that I could live without drugs. That's what the Bible says we are. We're the salt and the light. We're salt. We bring flavor to the earth. My life should be a testimony to say, hey man, you can live without it. Lord is half dead up in here this morning. We're preaching on. Jesus said, give me a drink. First of all, any man that ever asked something from her didn't, wasn't committed to stay with her. Jesus finally gets her to recognize the stuff that you've been drinking ain't going to suffice. 
you got to come back here tomorrow about noonday and you're going to have to get another drink out of this well. But I'm here to tell you, if you'll recognize what's sitting before you, it's greater than Jacob's well. Come on, somebody. This is a well that you drink of. It will never run dry. Can I get a, a believer in here to agree with me? It's a well that will never run dry. Since I had a drink on February 2nd of 1998, there has been times that it seemed like the cup was almost dry. But let me tell you, he always comes through and he always replenishes and he always refreshes. Come on, somebody. After every drunk I ever been on, I was hung over the next day and it never cured any problem I ever had. Come on, somebody. After any relationship that I ever tried to put my time and all of that in, it always left me feeling empty. But when I drank of this water that I'm talking to you about today, friend, it went to the depths of my soul and it touched something that I'd been longing for my whole life. This is the living water. This lady is so ecstatic that there's a God in heaven that would go out of his way. Did, has God ever went out of his way for you, friend? I'm asking you in this house. There's been times that I've been wanting to give up, but God has always went out of his way and communicated and reminded me the vision, reminded me the call, reminded me how much I was worth to him. So she goes back to town says, come meet a man who told me everything that I ever did. He gave me some living water. Touches the very depths of the soul. God knows right where you're at. Listen to this. God doesn't waste anything in our lives. There's a process, friend. And God's building something beautiful. He's, weave, he's weaving, I'm telling you, he's weaving a blanket and, a, and something. If you could stand back and see it, listen, what we got to understand is God's not Alpha and Omega. He's Alpha Omega at the same time. He jumps on our life at any time. He can get on the beginning of the train or he jumps to the end of the train. That's why God is so long-suffering towards us because he sees the finished product. Do you understand? He's looking backwards. God, I can't get no help in here. He's looking backwards, friend. The Bible says in Revelation that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the earth. That means before Adam ever got in the garden, Jesus had already come. He's looking backwards. He sees the finished product. You see right now, but he sees years later, and he says, my God, the devil said, look at the problems he's got now, but he said, you ain't seen the finished product. My God, you ain't seen the way he's gonna end up. You ain't seen Fred 10 years from now. You ain't seen Dennis 10 years from now. Give him a moment to catch up. And so, I'm off subject right here, but let me tell you something. The harder it takes you to get to your destiny, it tells you right there what kind of destiny you got. When there's pain in the struggle, honey, let me tell you something. You ain't giving birth to some little old, some little old infant going to run around on earth. You fit to give birth to a donkey that's going to change the world. Come on now. You can't hear. Remember when Rebecca went to God and said, God, this pregnancy right here is causing me a lot of problems. I don't understand the pain that I'm in right now. God looked down to her and said, the reason why you're in such a struggle because these two nations shut up in your womb. That's why you got a lot of pain. Listen, I don't worry about the quick elevator. Nobody needs the elevator. Everybody needs the staircase. Listen, friend, but if you got a lot of flight of stairs, you can better believe this. You got a big call on your life. And God reminded me that day, listen, you got a big call. Don't worry about when this one here runs out there and gets over you. Don't worry about when that one there. I've got the call on your life and I'm, I'm just as much, I'm aware of the call, but I'm gonna build you in the process. 
because you won't want to get to the destination and you skip the process because you can't stand when you get there. Hello, God is looking for some people that's got the character to stand where he's trying to get them to. I'm almost done. Can you stay right here? Right here. Look at this in Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7. It's 1150. We're going to get close to the airport at 12 and bring it down. Okay, somebody shout amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 7 verse 54. Acts chapter 7 verse 54. Ready? Acts chapter 7 verse 54. And when they heard these things, they were cut to heart. This is Stephen. When they heard these things, they were cut to heart. And they, they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he being full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Everywhere in the Bible, Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God. But let me tell you something. When one of his own gets into trouble, he will stand at the right hand of God. God is standing up for you, friend. Trying to help us this morning. You got to believe it. That God's for me. Let's look at this last one in John chapter 8. I'm going to steal this from Pastor Stanton. I'm not going to say where he stole it from, but he got it straight from God. John chapter 8. Let's do that. John chapter 8 and verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and now early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught him. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery and in the very act. Now listen to me. Listen to me right here. You remember what we read in Hebrews that in the Old Covenant... We had images, but it wasn't a complete image. The image was grayish. It was shady. We couldn't make out really what it was. In the old covenant, if you were called in adultery, you fit to be stoned. Jesus is still under the old covenant. The old covenant is still in place, right? At Passover, when Jesus was on the cross, they were slaying the lamb in the temple. Said when he cried out, the veil in the temple split and torn in half. Saying, hey, listen, we ain't, we ain't, ain't nothing behind the veil no more. Now we have access. Right? He's under the old covenant. The lamb had to be brought in five days before, right? Five days before to be inspected by the high priest. In John, in the book of John 12, six days before Passover, he's at the house of Bethany. That's where Mary anoints his feet. The following morning, he's getting up, headed into Jerusalem. Why? He's the Passover lamb. He's got to be inspected five days. He goes into the city of Jerusalem. They inspect him five days. As the high priest gives clearance to the lamb that's going to be, that's going to be slain, Caiaphas stands up and said, I find no fault in this man. He's a spotless lamb. 
God. Come on, somebody. Stay with me. This is better than chicken that you're going to get in sisters. I find no fault in this man. And as he's going, and as he goes to Golgotha, they slay the lamb in the temple. So the old covenant's in place. So when the pastor comes out and he's, hey, you're the new bishop on the scene, seems like. This woman's called in adultery. What are you going to do? Now the image we got of God is this woman's fixing to die. But Jesus said, you got a shady image of who my father is. My father's long-suffering. Not willing that any should perish. But all come to the knowledge. My father desires mercy, not judgment. Hello. It seems like the church desires judgment and not mercy. But I'm telling you that the father desires mercy and not judgment. Hello. Psalms 136, for his mercy endureth forever. Verse 32, for his mercy endureth forever. Verse 3, for his mercy endureth forever. God is merciful. So what are you going to do? I'm closing right here. Look at your neighbor and say he's finished. Next 10 minutes, I'm done. Alan Mike, would you come play right there? Play that closer or whatever you want to play. First John, the epistle. First John chapter 2. Says if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Has anybody sinned in this room? We might have to give an altar call today, buddy. Got sinners in the house. God forbid any of us sin. But if we sin, we have an advocate. You know what an advocate is? It's a lawyer. We got to have a lawyer. Someone to plead our case. Because we have sinned. And if you're like me, not only do I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me, I'm married to the Holy Spirit. Catherine, remind me quick, you have sinned. You have sinned against God, heaven, and the Bible in me. So now I've sinned. I've got to have a lawyer. And what I want you to see is your lawyer in action. Because the lawyer's in action in John chapter 8. Because a woman is caught in adultery. They didn't hear about it. They caught her. What I want to know is where was the man? They drag her down there. We called her. Now, I don't know what you're going to say, but I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says through what Moses gave us, the law. See, the law says she's got to be stoned. The law was in place. You and I could never live against, you and I could never live up to the law. That's why Jesus came. And after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, Mary goes to the tomb and the John says this, and the stone was rolled away. You know what she was saying? The law that held us locked up in the tomb of religion has been rolled away. We're free to go. Under the law, the first person to touch Jesus was a virgin named Mary. 
Under grace, the first person to touch him was Mary Magdalene, the whore whom he cast the devils out of. Grace made a way for you and I. Jesus came to put the picture of who the Father's really like. And now this lady's caught in adultery and she's got sin. She's got to have a lawyer to bid her case. They're ready. They got the stone in hand. The King James in the other. And they're telling, the word declares we stone her. But what do you say? And Jesus gets up and you know what he's He's, he's riding in the sand. I've heard so many talk about this. What did he write? Did he write John 3.16? What did he write? But I love what Pastor Stanton brought out. The reason why he stooped down was to get eye level with her. And look at her and say, woman, listen. And then he looks up at the crowd after he gets, makes eye contact to her. He said, those of you without any sin in your life, the first one of you that stands here blameless, you cast the first stone. There was only one man standing in that circle that had no sin in his life. And that was the Lord Savior, Jesus Christ. And he looked back at her and said, woman, I don't condemn you. Church, let me tell you something. Anytime you feel that condemnation, that's never coming from God. That's coming straight from the devil, friend. God doesn't condemn anybody. He convicts people, but He don't condemn nobody. Conviction says you've done something wrong. Condemnation says you are something wrong. And there's a whole lot of difference between that, friend. You are no sinner. You are a saint saved by the grace of God, a victor in Christ Jesus, totally forgiven, a son and daughter of the Most High God. That's what conviction says. Conviction says you've made the biggest mistake of your life, but you have a lawyer. You have a lawyer. Friday night, we were after the ball game. We went to go eat and we went to Gander Mountain. And Grant's, man, it's amazing that when he signs the MLB contract, he's going to owe me the first two years because daddy, I'll pay you back. Daddy, I'll pay you back. I said, how are you going to pay me back? You have no job. So I mean, he, I bless, he believes in the blessing of the Lord. God's going to publish his clearinghouse or something's coming. <clears throat> and John Millie still has some birthday money. So Asher said he's changing his birthday. He said, I'm changing my birthday. I don't like it. He said, I'm changing it. <laughs> so John, man, he's a brand new rod. And I tell him, I said, John, man, it's a very nice rod. It's a nice rod now. I said, you got to take care of it. He said, okay. Get it set up. Whatever. So we go fishing. We come home. And so we decided we'd get in the pool. So I jump out of the pool and I go around there under the carport. And I look at that brand new rod laying on the boat. I see the end of it broke. And I remember that guy saying, hey, would you like to get the protection on this rod? I said, no, nah, man, we don't need no protection. We got the Holy Ghost. But you know, 
And I called John Ben around there. I said, what happened to the rod? He was, he, he's not dumb. He was smart. He took, he took a pair of clines and instead he cut the pole back right at the other eye so it wouldn't look nothing wrong. So he was walking back to the pool and he said, when I went to set the hook on that fish, he said, that end broke. I said, now buddy, but the way that right there looks, I don't believe that's what happened. But I told him, I said, don't worry about the rod. I said, because we'll buy another one. Let me tell you something. Our Father in heaven entrusted us with the most expensive thing he had. His son and the Holy Ghost on the inside of us. And these are many times we've went out and we've broke the rod. We've blown it. He trusted us with the gifts and we blew it. But he's not sitting up in heaven saying, don't give Matt another chance. Think about it. I'm done right here, but I'm leave, I gotta leave you with this. When Peter, when he cried out for the when he when he when he denied the Lord the third time and he heard the rooster crow, he went back to the only thing that he knew he could do, and that was fish. And he's standing out fishing, and Jesus comes walking on the shore. And he goes back in. Jesus never said, Peter, I don't think I'm gonna trust you again because you blew it. He just looked at Peter and reminded him, Peter, I called you the rock, Petros, for, for a reason. Now I'm going to need you to feed the sheep. I need you to man up and step to the plate. And that same man that denied him, church history says, gave his life on a cross just like the Lord did. But he said, don't tang me up, turn me upside down because I'm not worthy to, I'm not worthy to hang like my Lord. Friend, God's for you. I want you to stand up right here. We're all in this room have made a ton of mistakes, including the one holding the mic, but His grace is sufficient. God is for me. He's for my family. He's for my family. God wants the very best for you, friend. When you see only the small thing, He sees the big thing. God sees you far beyond where you're at today. Raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you right now. Father, I pray this morning that you would fill our hearts with the goodness of God. You would fill our hearts with the goodness right now, God. Let us look at Jesus and know that you are 100% for us, God. You are always rooting us on. You are 100% saying, go ahead. You're a good dad. You're a good father. You're a good father. Wipe away the orphan image of, uh, just wipe away this orphan heart that we have. And let us realize today that you're a great dad. You're a great God. When I'm at my worst, you're still at your best. You never slack off, God. You're always there. You're making the crooked way straight and the high place level for me, God. I thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in my life. I thank you for the blessing on my families. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for being the good father that you are. In Jesus' mighty name, church, can you give the Lord a big hand clap of praise? <laughs> Come on, that was pretty good. Let's do it real loud one time. Let the devil know you got a God up in heaven that's on your side. Come on, somebody. Let them know. I'm a king's kid. I'm a king's kid. I'm royalty. 
In Jesus' mighty name. God bless you. Listen here. We'll see you on Wednesday night. Don't forget May 4th. Put it on your calendar. National Day of Prayer. We're going to be here interceding and praying. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this message. For more exciting content, visit our website at sparkswillfly.cc and connect with us on social media. 